0: Well, I am, I say this a lot, but I am excited. So, I want to start with John chapter 13, 33, it says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. This is Jesus talking, and He's, he's beginning to think about the fact that His time with the disciples is limited. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So when Jesus began to think about, okay, my time is nearly done, what he thought of, what came to urgency. How many of you guys... Um, have ever, like, left the kids on their own for, you know, a night or a weekend and you're about to go out? You you know that feeling? Especially if it's, like, the first time. And, like, you tell them a lot of things. But what's the last thing you tell them? Whatever the most important thing is. (laughs) Call, Call me? Yeah, it... The, the, the last thing you say before you go out the door is the one thing you hope they most don't forget. Now, that might be, you know, do this with your, your sibling or don't, you know, don't forget to feed the dog or what, whatever it is that you are most concerned that they may not get. That's what's going to come to mind as you consider the end. All the way, now we're going to jump. Um, well, first he says you must love one another. Then verse 35 says something interesting. It says, by this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. John chapter 17, even closer to his departure, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world will believe that you have sent me. Why did he want that love and that unity? Because by it, he said, the world would believe that we had been sent, that he had been sent by God. He says, I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, when? After they see unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So I think it's interesting that Jesus keeps, when he talks about his departure, he then goes to love, and he goes to unity. And then he keeps saying that unity is how the world will know. Unity is necessary for evangelism. Unity is necessary for evangelism. I'm going I'm to tell you a story. So, this story is about two men on a bridge. One of them was about... Was obviously about to commit suicide. He was constantly climbing up on the edge, he's considering jumping. And the second man says, Don't do it. And he the man looks back and says, Why not? He says, Because God loves you. He says, Do you believe in God? And the man says, Yes. He says, Me too. He says, So are are you a Christian or a Jew? And he says, I'm a Christian. He says, me too. He says, what denomination? And the man who was standing there says, well, um, Baptist. He says, me too. He says, well, or, yeah, he says, <laughs> started with Catholic or Protestant. He gets to there. He gets to Baptist. He says, me too. He says, which one? Northern or Southern Baptist? And he says, Northern Baptist. Oh, he says, me too. He says, are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? And he says, Northern Conservative Baptist. And he says, oh, me too. Now he says, now, are you Northern Conservative Baptist of the Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist of the eastern region? And he says, Northern Conservative of the Great Lakes uh, region. He says, me too. And then he says, Are you Northern Conservative Baptist of the Great Lakes region of 1879 or Northern Conservative of Great Lakes region Baptist of 1912? He says, 1912. He says, Die, heretic. And he pushes him off. Now, it's just a story, and it's not a true thing. It's actually a joke. And you want to know what's interesting? That joke was voted as one of the funniest jokes of all time. I don't know how they made that decision. But I think, as we understand, humor has to have an element of truth in it to be funny. And I laughed the first time I saw that joke. But when I realized that it had rung so true, that it had voted its way up, I realized it is evidence of something very sad in the church. And that is... We can have so much in common. But when we find that one thing that we don't have in common, then we're ready to build walls, to separate, to ostracize, to reject. And that unity that God said was necessary for evangelism isn't there. According to God... One of the things that will testify to his presence in our lives is our unity. Now, you and I may understand perfectly why we don't get along with so-and-so. But the world doesn't. They're looking in there and they're saying... Why can't the Great Lakes Baptist, you you know, region of the 1879 get along with the 1912? They're confused. Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 and 47 says, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise in the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's talking about unity. He says... Even the world understands that they, they love those people who, who are just like them. But it takes something supernatural to love those who are different than you. And I remember, and in fact, yesterday and the day before, we had a leadership conference here. And I'm going to come back to, to that in a little bit. But what I want to mention is there was two guys here from Cuba. And I started, I went up and I I began to talk to him. It turns out that in 1999, I was in one of their homes. And the other, I had been to his church and his uncle's church. And I pulled up some pictures and he's looking at that. He's like, hey, that's that's my cousin. And that's so-and-so and and that's so-and-so. And And he's looking at these 20-year-old pictures and just in total awe. And I got to thinking about that trip. Now... It was in 1999 I was in Bible school, and I think it was my second or third trip to Cuba at that time. Many of you know that my parents were missionaries when I was born. So it means I was born in Mexico. About the time I turned 18, they changed the laws. When I was born, they said you could be a dual citizen only until your 18th birthday. But then they changed the law and said, we'll allow it to, to be a lifelong thing. That means I can do the Jason Bourne thing and travel with two different passports. I have a Mexican passport and a Mexican passport. And so that meant that I could go to Cuba when most Americans couldn't. And so I went and and I will never forget. I was I was like 18. Something like that. I went to someone's house. They're on their way in there. They said, here, you take this. They gave, me, they gave me this giant bag full of, like, clothing to donate. But it wasn't clothing that would fit me. There were high heels and dresses and, and all kinds of stuff in there. There was the carburetor to a Volkswagen van that he handed me. He said, stick that in there. And, and I'm packing these bags full of all kinds of strange things. And then we're about to go to the airport. And he says, oh, Here. We're going to buy equipment so that we can photocopy um, Bible school stuff. We're going to bring in originals of audios. We need to buy audio equipment. We need to buy all of this stuff on the black market in Cuba. So we need this money here. Put this $25,000 cash on your person somewhere. Just don't let them find it. So I had like $2,000 in each shoe, and I had a little bit in each pocket, and I had in other places we won't talk about, and I had money just all over and I'm carrying I've got Bibles I've got high-heeled shoes I've got all kinds of stuff that I am carrying in and this is my first dive into smuggling so we go to to Cuba we get on the plane and the guy that I'm traveling with the moment we get to customs he's like poof you know, he's gone. He figures if one of us goes down, both of us don't need to go down. He had the other half of the money, and he didn't want the you know. So, all right. So, we, we split up, and I'm going through the line. And I've prayed up, and, and uh, they saw the carburetor on the x-ray, which is this weird metal tube thing. So, they, they pulled my whole bag. When, when all the bags come through, mine came through last. And then the, 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 uh, the military officer pulls me aside. He says, what's all this stuff? And he starts pulling in there. He's like, is this your bag? I'm like, yep. He reaches in, pulls out a high heel, reaches in, pulls out dresses, pulls out. He <laughs> says, so this is your bag? Yeah, that's my bag. What are you doing with this stuff? I'm like, oh, I'm going to give it away. And uh, he says, well, how much did it cost you? I said, well, it was given to me. And he gets to the carburetors, what's this? And I had to explain what it was. And, I'm, and he was trying to figure out how much each item was worth so that he could then charge me a tax. And I figured all this out in retrospect, but I, you know, I'm still not, this is my first dive into this whole thing. So I just keep giving him honest answers. And I kept saying, you know, he's like, well, how much did this cost you? I'm like, well, that didn't cost me anything. And who are you going to give this auto part to? And he, I don't remember how much time we wasted there. But eventually, he just gave up and let me through. And John that I was traveling with, he was off to the side waiting. And when I finally got all the way through customs, he refound me. And uh, he, he's talking to me about it. And uh, he says, so did you bribe him? And I said, what would I have bribed him with? He's like, well, that money. I says, you didn't authorize me to spend any of it. I didn't tell him a thing. He's like, well... Good for you. You got through without without it costing anything. And we used all of that money to then buy the the stuff on the black market. But here's what I want to tell you about even more than the smuggling experience. And that is when we began to travel around the island of Cuba. And I will never forget. We went to Methodist churches, Baptist churches, non-denominational churches, denominations who had names You know, I can't believe they translated the whole thing. They were so long. But we would go, and people, Christians would come from every other one of the churches. I was there, and I was struck by how pointless the names were. Because when I was there, nobody could. It was, are you a Christian? And the names over the church, everybody just believed what the Bible said. There weren't any Bible schools there. And so we were setting up Bible schools in Wesleyan churches, in Baptist churches, in you name it. If they believed in the Bible, they were glad we were there and we were helping them out and we would have these meetings and we would have these trainings and people would come from every Christian church of any name. And I just remember thinking about that and thinking, wow, this is what the church looks like. I think I've asked this from the pulpit before, but how many churches are there in Grand Rapids? One. we got a bunch of buildings. But God has one church in Grand Rapids. And I remember being in Cuba and spending time there and thinking, wow, I love seeing this. Now, that was back in 1999. And I'm going to jump to Matthew 5, 43. We just read it. It was interesting. It says, and if you greet only your people, what are you doing more than others? Here's my question. When they say, when it says here, your people, who do you think? Who is he talking about? When he says your people, is it my denomination all us non-denom, Bible-thumping, charismatic Christians? Is it my socioeconomic status? Are my people that group? Is it people of my skin color, of my gender, of my ethnicity, of my religion? God says, if you greet only your people, what are you doing more than others? See, because God says when there is unity in the church, that is evidence that something supernatural is taking place. When we see unity, that is evidence that something supernatural is taking place. The world is not shocked when people, when birds of a feather flock together. Whatever that defining difference might be in your mind, the world is not shocked. When the world sees birds of a feather flock together, they don't look at that and say, wow, something supernatural is going on. No, they look at that and say, that's the norm. But when we reach across those common differences, when we speak to someone who would not be in their mind in my mind. Group. And I don't want to limit this to race. I don't want to limit this to, to denomination. I don't want to li- There are so many different groups. And I think that the Holy Spirit will speak to each and every one of us about which are the walls that we have built up. Jesus prayed about the unity of the church at the very end of his time. Why? Because it was so important to him. There are three things that kill unity. There's the sectarianism, which would be like the denominational stuff. There's racism. And then there's like political part, part, partisanship. So I'm going to hit those real fast. The Bible says in Matthew or Mark 9.38... The disciples said, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one of you who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Hey, don't worry, Jesus. This guy who wasn't part of our group was preaching the gospel and we shut him down. And Jesus said, No, you're wrong. You don't have to have Everything in common, just know that if they are acting in my name, then you're on the same team. They're not going to cast out demons in my name and then speak ill of me. Jesus was anti sectarianism. He says, You are all part. Now, some of us. We look at that and we'll say, well, does that mean there should only be one church building in all of Grand Rapids? And that's a good question to ask. But I think that the answer is no. There are people in Grand Rapids who won't come and learn about God where there's loud music. There are people... Who won't come unless there is loud music? This isn't a charge against different rooms. It's not bad that there's more than one church building in Grand Rapids, but it is bad when we see ourselves as on separate teams. We should be unified to the lost. When the lost sees us, they will recognize something supernatural is happening when they see that we don't attack each other, that we see each other as being on the same side. When we reach out to the lost despite not looking like, acting like, being on the same socioeconomic ladder, being in the exact same group as they are. In Acts chapter 10, verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on a journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven open, and something like a large sheet began being let down onto earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or uncertain. He thought it was a test. But the voice said to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. In verse 17, it says, While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, Peter is trying to figure out, What is God trying to tell me? The men sent by Cornelius... Cornelius was a, a, a non-Jew who had been visited by an angel. It says says, and sent, and the angel told him to go get Peter. The men, sent by Cornelius, found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, so he's still processing the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous, God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. It's interesting that when Peter gets to Cornelius' house, He says, God instructed me. And I don't see where I have that verse. I feel like I might have accidentally deleted it. But Peter then says, God has shown me not to call anyone unclean who God has said is clean. The vision, the understanding of the vision came to Peter when he realized God was talking about people. There are no people. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says that we were all made in God's image. I don't have time to read a bunch of scriptures about political partisanship. That's a tongue twister for me today. Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 2. Titus 3, 9 and Matthew 22. They all address the political aspects of of being a Christian. But I want to hit something else. I want to continue to Peter. In chapter 21, verse 15 of John, Peter is finishing eating, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? And he says, you know. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to go to Luke 22 first. Luke 22, 33 and 34. It says, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. This is before Jesus died. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will, crow, will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Peter was so confident that he was the fearless, the most loyal, the most fearless of the disciples. And he says, don't worry, I'm with you all the way. And Jesus turns to him and says, you don't even know who you are. You have overestimated yourself. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. See, Peter's identity was caught in what he did for God. He says, I What does he say? He says, I am with you to the end. I am loyal. I will stand. We know that Peter got extra excited. He stood up and he tried to to fight when they came to take Jesus away. Chopped the ear off of one of the centurions. Jesus picked it up, put it back on. He said, no, that's not for now. Peter had a picture of who he was and that picture was based on how he behaved. And Jesus said, you don't even know yourself. You're going to shortly discover that you are going to behave in the exact way you think you never would. And sure enough, he did. Now, in John chapter 21, in my Bible The heading says Jesus reinstates Peter because Peter was devastated. Realize Peter had claimed all of these things, and then Jesus told him it wouldn't. He said, no way, that's not true. And then it was, and he was broken. The Bible says he went back to fishing. But Jesus came and found him. And went through a process just like the one the first time he met Peter. Remember, he calls out to him, have you caught any fish? No, I didn't catch any fish. Well, put your net on the other side. And he puts his net on the other side. And then he catches a bunch of fish. Jesus does the exact same thing with Peter a second time. Re-invites him in an, a similar way. And then Jesus or Peter had denied Jesus three times. Peter gives him three opportunities to profess that he loves him. And I want to jump back to the first verse that we read, well, second verse that we read today, John chapter 17, 23. It says, In them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me me. I want to talk about what brings unity and what brings division. When our identity comes from who we think we are and what we think we do, then we, like Peter, are competing, comparing and dividing. Jesus says they will be one when they realize that I love them. So here is the, 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 the ever so important question. Who am I? And where does my value come from? If my value comes from what I do or how I do it, then my value is on a yo-yo. If my value, however, and my identity is based not in what I do or how I do it, but in how he loves me, then my identity is stable. But you know what else? My identity looks just like your identity. Because does he love me differently than he loves you? Not a bit. You see, when I have my identity based in what I do and how I do it, well, what am I? I'm a Christian. What kind of Christian am I? Well, I'm a non-denominational Christian. Well, what, how, you know, what does that mean? Well, that means I raise my hands when I'm in church. That means I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That means I pray in tongues. Woo! Do you pray in tongues? Are we different? Well, it's okay. It's okay to seek everything that God has for you. There's nothing wrong with, with praying in tongues, but if that is your identity, if you identify based on your behavior, if your value comes with God loves me because I raise my hands, I, I, I speak in tongues, because I go to this kind of church, because I give this this type of money to these types of places, because I volunteer in these types of things, because I do this, because I do that, then then I have to find other people to be my people. And my value goes up and down. And when, when, like Peter, which is inevitable, when I do something that I didn't want to do, Paul, he says, that which I do not want to do, that is what I do. Because that's going to happen. And when our identity is tied to what we're doing, then our identity is changing and our identity is different than your identity. And our identity, my identity, becomes different than the the, the label or the identity that I give you. But when my identity comes from I am loved by Him, the way that He loved Christ Himself, then I look over and I say, well, who are you? You are someone who He loves the same way He loves me. And suddenly, the only difference I see is people who know who they are and people who still need to be told. And I see my friends in the denominational church down the street. Now, here's what I wanted to share with my last bit of time. So, it struck me this week that 20 years ago, In 1999, when I was in Cuba, I marveled at the denominational unity. The names were on the doors, but nobody cared. What we all had in common was the understanding that God loves us. They would constantly say, Cuba para Cristo, Cuba for Christ. What is interesting, and I believe that God is focused on today, I I remember thinking, wow, I hope to see this someday here. How many of you attended the Renew meeting a year ago here in the sanctuary? We had 6,700 people here in the building. That was a record, by the way, for one service. They registered online online. So we know that they were represented from 727 churches. They also identified themselves, 267 of them identified themselves as pastors. Yesterday, I was in the lobby here with a bunch of people from all over the world, but mostly Michigan, Midwest, Grand Rapids, learning, and I looked around, and there was a pastor of a Reformed church. There was a pastor of a Seventh-day Adventist church. There was a pastor, from, and they were all sitting with me, growing and learning, and I thought, I am experiencing that move. I want to share that with other people. All right, can I tell you a secret? I won't tell you which denomination, but one of, one of the denominations headquartered in this area that if I said their name, you would say, that is a mainline, stodgy denomination. Their number one person was here yesterday. speaks in tongues. They just don't know it. (laughs) I was so excited. I was so excited to see how God is unifying us and how the next step will be that the world will see. Our city will see. But What it's going to take from you and I is a conscious decision to put our identity in His love for us, not our actions for Him. If you'll take a minute, I want to give a different kind of altar call tonight. If you close your eyes, When I say, who are you? What is your core identity? What is the most important part of who you are? Where does your value as a person come from? We all heard it said where that's supposed to come from. But there's a big difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And if you're here today, and when I spoke about that, you felt something in your heart say, hey, it was your spirit saying, hey, we need to adjust our identity, the source of our identity. If that was you, just raise your hand. If you're, there was a scratch and you said, I need to adjust my identity. I'm not going to call you down front. Don't be embarrassed. I just want to give you a chance to step forward, not here, but in your mind, to make steps towards change. We are God's children. He loves us. That is why we matter. That is why we have value. Many of us thought it was because of how many services we attended, which church we attended at, how much we did, what we said or didn't say, what we did or didn't do. And although we are called to please God with our actions, our actions are not what give us value. We are valuable because God made us in his image and so is our neighbor so is the person down the street at a church seeking to know God that may not understand everything that you do but he has exactly the same value in God's eyes let's pray together dear heavenly father we just ask that you would flood us with the comprehension of your love for us, for the value and esteem that you have for us independent of what we do what we look like or what we've done the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us thank you for your love. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, to see others as you see them, and to step forward in shocking ways that demonstrate your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.